Hello, everyone. And sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so like, I'll just get one last throat clear yeah. in. <clears throat> cool. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Bit Spursy. I'm Barney. I'm Dan. And we are back to talk about Spurs versus Sheffield, a game that I feel very good about. How do you feel, Dan? Oh, it's a wonderful life as a Spurs fan. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> That's the first song we've had on the pod. I know, and it won't be the last today. It won't be the last today. You've got a few more. Well, no, you've got one because you your bet from last week. Oh. Didn't get to five nil. No. See, I am so upset about that. You know what? If I, there are a lot of things that I'm not saying when I say this, I leave out a lot of words, um, but I don't like VAR. Um, was there a VAR goal? Yeah. Oh, Son's goal. Sonny's. Yeah, Sonny's. he got ruled of off because he was leaning. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, no, VAR is not your friend. No. So you would have been home and hosed. You would have had a new kit for next season oh. that Maddie would have bought you. Yeah. I would have had to sing. Yeah. On the, I mean, I've given you a courtesy song. You've given anyway. me a courtesy song. Thank you so much. Um, but it was close. Mm, I know. That's why it was so, like, as I was watching it, I was um, messaging Maddie being like, it's three goals now, two to go. It's four goals, one to go. And was so, like, I managed to create a situation where it felt like we were up 1-0 or chasing the game and we needed a goal, but we were up by four because I was so desperate for that. Because I've seen the concept kit for next season. It looks great, apart from the V-neck, but it looks really good. Um, I want one. You're probably standing up, measuring out yourself with the ruler and mirror, like, all right, here we go. Yeah, this year I'm going to get the more expensive one with, like, the (laughs) air holes in it. The, the, um, what is it as well? The skinny fit, the tight fit, whatever it is as well. Yeah. Yeah, or one of those. Um, yeah, I was uh, very excited. So that was disappointing. Yeah, and uh, I guess as well, I know this is jumping ahead, but um, especially when Reguillon missed that chance yeah. at the end of the game too, which would have given you the new kit. It would have given um, – sorry, you know, I would have had to sing a song. But mm. instead, you have to take your your girlfriend to dinner. Yeah. Which isn't really punishment there. No. Um, and <laughs> – my equal reward is that you sing for me yeah. for probably 10 seconds yeah. on this recording. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I wasn't great at coming up with terms. Um, I I regret that. Um, but I am pleased that because of my positive prediction, we won 4-0. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, let's focus on the positives for now. I yeah. guess that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I set the standards high and Spurs tried to reach them and there was an echo of glory is what I'm saying. There was a difference of one goal, but the echo of glory is still echoing around Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah. I yeah. love how buoyant you are as well. Like yeah. as am I. Like it's so so nice, I guess, after the last um you know, the last last pod was after the the Carabao Cup final. Yep. Um and I think we were, you know, we were both feeling a little bit um just a little bit down about mm. how that went and how yeah. that all sort of played out. Yeah. And then, yeah, to have a, a, a commanding win. Yeah. And look, some people might say, you know what? You played the bottom team. Mm-hmm. Some people might say they are possibly on track to be one of the worst teams in Premier League history. Yes. I don't prefer, I don't look, like to look at those no. sides of things. No, no. I just want to look at the, the positives of that it was a 4 0 thrashing. Mm hmm Exactly. And like last season, we played Norwich, who I think 
Did they set the record for the worst Premier League team ever? They might have, or they got very close. And we drew with them, didn't we? What One of the games was a 1-1? I think we did, yeah. Yeah. So, improvement. Like, <laughs> progress. <laughs> yeah, progress. Um, I was very happy with the way the team was set up. Once I saw the lineup, I was very excited. I also watched it live at 4 a.m. because uh, I was up doing a horrendous assignment. So... By that point, I was almost delirious when the um, lineup came out and uh, I was very, very happy with what I saw. Yeah. So the first time that we've seen Bale, Son and Kane start since January, I think, or Feb, something like that, Mm. um, which was great. And then to see Delhi back in the fold as well. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, I was a little bit surprised about that. Yeah, me too. Um, just because, yeah, it just didn't seem like maybe – we didn't really know, I guess, 100% where Mason stood on Delhi. No. Um, and given as well that um, in the, the League Cup he wasn't starting, um, so you think if he was really his boy, he might have come straight back in. Mm. Then even though it was a really like high-pressure game, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess going into this, it was going to be interesting to see against a team that we as a club 100% should be beating, yep. how would we actually set up – when we're trying to play this, you know, open, expansive attacking game. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ryan Mason, you know, he's talking about the club's DNA and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And so it seemed like this was really the game to see what his version of that was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really gave, uh, shone the spotlight on him, gave him the floor. Uh, he was center stage. I couldn't pick one, but they were all occurring in my brain at once. Um, I love Gio Lacelso so much. So I was very excited to see him start. I... I'm a little worried that we haven't seen Endombele at all since uh, Southampton. Um, what I have read from, you know, Alistair Gold, the club, mm-hmm. he's like the mouthpiece really of the club, I'm pretty sure. Um, he uh, insinuated in an article that uh, they weren't very happy with Endombele's performance at Southampton, um, which is why he hasn't played in the last two games. See, that seems... Unless there was something that we don't know, mm. like if, if he said something in the dressing room or if there was something in the aftermath that had been said, yeah, like just because a player doesn't have a necessarily a great game mm. to then cut them out of the League Cup final, yeah. cut them out of playing the bottom of the, te- the, the table. Like we couldn't have played two more different teams in terms of where they are in yeah. skill class league position <laughs> yeah. over these two games. Yeah. Um, and for him to not feature at all in either of them, mm. Like you feel like he's got to have done something that really annoys Wright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. Like even in this game, you think there'd be a cameo for Ndombele. Surely. Yeah, we were up by – I want to continue with this conversation, but I do want to break some breaking news that has just happened, uh, and that is that Jose Mourinho is the new Roma manager from the start of next season. Really? Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he hasn't wasted much time. No, he hasn't. In an interview the other day, he said he wasn't considering another managerial appointment. All I have to say is suck in Roma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be great actually to see how it goes for him going back to Italy. Mm. And because now like we've spoken about, you know, we feel like Jose is is kind of done in the Premier League. Absolutely. Um, so... It'll be really interesting if he goes to imagine if he goes to Roma and he turns them into this like absolute like incredible title force next season. Yeah. Um, then there's going to be I think more question marks raised about his reign at Spurs. Absolutely. If he goes to Roma though, and we get a similar scenario, mm. 
where maybe they start off decent, but then they kind of drop. Mm. Um, then it's kind of like, well, yeah, we were right to Zach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I after um, today's, yesterday's, yesterday's game out time, I have never felt more angry at Jose Mourinho for the way he managed Spurs than after the uh, Sheffield game. Um, because, I mean, obviously, you know, with the caveat that that Sheffield, yes, they're the bottom team, but also like Gareth Bale scored a hat-trick and he's barely featured. Apart from that great little brief stint where he was good, he played one bad game and then was banished. Um, Delhi, I thought, was, was good. Um, he looked rusty, but... Uh, for not playing football for so long, I was pretty happy with the way that he played. Well, I think with Delhi, um, on that point, like it, you know, it did seem like he was trying to get on the ball. He was trying to make things happening. Mm. So he was trying to make things happen. Um, it wasn't, you know, it, it looked like a player who was happy to be back in the team and was again not playing against a high quality opposition. Mm. But it did look like he was actually out there trying to get some stuff going. Yeah. Um, and even like you said, it didn't happen for him. Um, it was. Yeah, it was, I guess, nice to see Delhi out there with, I don't know, it seems like there's a bit of a weight off his shoulders or something mm. that, um, you know, the last couple of times that we did see him feature under Mourinho, they were great, but then there'd been so much, like, criticism of him and, and all these sorts of things. So you didn't really think that there was, um, you know, a manager who trusted his player there. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I think it was, I, I think from Delhi it was a solid performance, all things considered. Yep given where he has been and mm. how little game time he's had over mm. the course of the season. Yep. Um, so it was kind of nice to be able to have this game to to get him back in the mix rather than, say, having another really tough game um, against a team that's in really good form. Yeah, totally. We got to see the, like, little fun aspects of Delhi with the, you know, I think he nutmegged someone. There was a couple of flicks. Oh, there was uh, the one where he nutmegged where he got held back by one player and then, like, nutmegged the next player that was coming in on him. Yeah. <laughs> that was... That was um, – it's like when he does – when that fall, when that doesn't come off, you're like, oh, Delhi, what are you doing? Mm. But when it when it does, you're like, hoo-hoo, prime Delhi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he made that great run behind the Sheffield back line and almost got in the end of uh, – I think it was an Alderville ball, which like, you know, nostalgia's sake was, was great to see. Um, yeah, I was really happy. I hope he starts next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. Yeah, I think if nothing else, him starting at least shows our attacking intent. Mm. And because he's not going to be starting in one of those front three positions. No. So if he is starting in behind, it's nice that it's saying, okay, cool, we're not going with another more defensively minded midfielder yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, we are actually going with, you know, Delhi, who um, I think he gets through more work than we actually realize mm. <laughs> in terms of his defensive work overall. Yeah. But you wouldn't call him a defensive player by any stretch. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. So it's kind of nice, I guess, to to have him in there, even though, you know, Lucas has played well in various sort of aspects and, and doing what he does. But it does feel like in a way Lucas is more of like a defensive forward player. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree. It was really nice to see, to see him there. And if he does keep playing... Um, yeah, it'll mean that we're having a go and we're we're actually trying to attack and and yeah and putting teams on the back foot for once, which was so nice to see. It was bizarre. I mean, I loved it, but it was so bizarre to watch. Like I, it took me. I think it took us a little bit to warm into the game, but also it took me a little while to fully comprehend that we were trying to keep the ball. We were trying to pass the ball. We weren't trying to just 
rush the ball forward and launch counterattacks where there wasn't one to be launched. Um, yeah, it was great. It was really good to watch. Yeah, I almost feel that the only player who seemed to not look like they didn't really know what they were doing was Region. Yeah. And maybe it was because he hasn't been really, you know, um, unleashed attackingly like that for a long time mm. um, or playing in that system. But, like, I mean, he was still getting forward. He was trying to get forward. He was running around a lot. Yeah. Um, it's. I think it's really interesting with him, like mm. how, you know, how well he was playing at the start of the season. Mm. And then he dropped off quite a lot. Yep. And I think he's still at a point now where maybe he is showing – you know, still a bit of immaturity. And like there were a couple of times, especially when he was trying to press in this game where he was just like just overcooking it a little bit too much, like yeah. a little bit eager, um, a little bit over eager, sorry. But at the end of the day as well, I'd kind of prefer that than us sort of sitting back. Oh, yeah. Um, like it's nice to see us going forward and making mistakes mm. rather than playing so sort of defensively and coy mm. and like, yeah. you know, relying on one or two chances in a game where we have to execute them perfectly in order to win. Exactly. It was so good to see us uh, keep the ball, recycle possession, go forward. The chance doesn't work out for us. We then press, win the ball back, recycle. But it was like, cool, like this is great. And and the craziest thing, and I – Jose Mourinho, I'm assuming, will never listen to this podcast, but I would love to just tell him. Well, we can't be sure. We can't be. I mean, he may. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We could be trending in Rome. We don't know. That's true. Yeah, that's true. We could be trending in Rome. Well, Jose, if you're listening, (laughs) uh, you might have noticed that um, the defense kept a clean sheet uh, and they also kept the XG to 0.5 and both Toby and Dyer didn't look suspect at all. Like they both played good games. I mean, they didn't have a lot to deal with, but that's the second, second game in a row. I can't remember if they were, how they were in at Southampton. Um, but the second game in a row where they've both been, been good. And it's like, Oh, well, if you don't have pressure on you for 70 minutes, uh, trying to hoof the ball out of the box, then you're probably not going to make as many mistakes. Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those things that, um, you know, Dyer was looking good at the start of the season when he was playing in that system where there was a lot of pressure on him. Mm. But I think once you then play like that for so long and then you try and play without trying trying to absorb all that pressure and you then lose track of what you're trying to do, which I think up until recently, like a few games that Dyer had and he came back in, he was kind of like just a bit all over the place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I think now he's come back and... The last couple of games, he's been solid. Mm. Um, I saw he also was quoted as saying that he thinks the criticism on him has been a bit unfair. Yep. Um, and that he hasn't actually played. He doesn't think he's played that badly or, or he thinks, you know, he's made a couple of mistakes and he's just been jumped on for those mistakes. Right. Um, rather than, you know, admitting, well, us admitting that, you know, defenders are bound to make mistakes. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes that. So I, I don't know. I think overall for the season so far for, for Dyer, he's shown moments of promise, mm. but then he's also shown some moments where he has kind of looked a bit out of out of his depth yep. Um, yep. as well. So I agree with you. He's played he, – he looked good in this game. Mm. Um, but it's that thing where I guess it's like, you know, if our defensive pairing next season was Toby and Dyer, I think we're probably going to struggle for a season, for a whole season if that's what we're sort of going for. Absolutely. I agree. Um, I still think Dyer has no idea what's happening behind him at all times. His passing out of the back is very suspect. Um, but with the way that we have been playing and, you know, having Gio and Hoibier 
able to, or Hoybier really to receive the ball out of defense, who is a great, he's not a great passer, but he's a, uh, a safe passer. Like he, you know, you can see when he receives the ball, he checks both directions as he gets it. Um, so he knows where the play is, which is, you know, whenever he has the ball near our defense, I'm not worried he's going to give it away. I, I'm like, he's going to make a good choice. Um, and then Gio is such a, as I said, I love Gio. Um, great option to bring the ball forward um, and such a clever player um, that I was really happy with their midfield pairing. Um, what did you think of them playing together? Because have we seen that before? Gio and Hoybier in the in a double pivot? I don't know if we've seen the we, – we probably have at some stage, but yeah. I can't remember. Mm. Um, but actually maybe we haven't. We haven't for a while <laughs> yeah. at least. We haven't seen – because I think the recent times we've seen Gio has been with Ndombele and Hoybier. It's mm. the three in there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the interesting thing about Gio is that we don't quite know what his best position is. No. Um, whether like he's got a lot of positive attributes in mm. in both sort of roles, um, but you know, um, like previously in his career, he was playing further forward. He was scoring a lot more goals. Yeah, um, and he's yeah, like you're saying, like he he distributes the ball relatively well. Mm. He carries the ball relatively well. Mm. Um, not quite as well as like Ndombele can. No, yeah, but yeah, it, it's it's kind of interesting. Like mm. I I genuinely don't know what I would do now. If you just said pick your prime starting eleven, yeah, um, I still feel like I prefer Ndombele yeah, playing deeper mm-hmm. to just get that ball, progress it, Dembele yep. style, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, maybe Geo, if he is playing in a more attacking role, um, he can still offer those defensive qualities. So you know, he's always going to work hard. Yeah, you know, he's going to get those little rat tackles in. Yep, love that. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Mm. Uh, how how are you feeling about where like where would you play him? I ideally would want because I agree with you. Like I love Ndombele so much, and he's such a talented player. And the, the thing about him and Geo is they're both such clever players that they make intelligent passes. Um, they try things that you're like, you know, like a, a creative. They they make creative moves. Um, and ideally I'd want a, th- a midfield three, although every time we've seen that after everyone has been waiting for that to happen, when we've seen it hasn't been very good. If that could work out, I would play a three. Um, and and then I don't know what I would do further forward because I'd want Delhi as well and I'd want Bale and Son and Kane. So, um, yeah, it's very hard to choose. I'm guessing what I'm what I'm hearing is I'm guessing you would prefer to rewrite the rules and allow 12 players yes, on the field. that's correct. That's correct. And then we can satisfy all of these yep. <laughs> scenarios. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What if um, instead we could have 12, but we only have – we have one less substitute on the bench uh, because Harry Winks isn't in the team? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like it was like I thought you were going somewhere with it. Yeah. Actually having like a – Mm. A point, maybe not a serious point, but mm. something. And then I realized this is just something to pull up Harry Wings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I should have seen it coming. Yeah. I, I walked straight into that mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I think Winks is on borrowed time. Yeah. I know you are. I was going to say, what's the opposite of diehard fan? Uh, enemy. <laughs> what, your Winks is enemy? Yeah. 
you you are Wix's nemesis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they would bring you nothing. Like you would, you couldn't get any more joy in your life. Mm. I think than seeing Wix leave the club. Is that right? Yes, that would be phenomenal. That would be phenomenal. I would love to see it. First day of the transfer window, Wings is leaving. That would be fantastic. See, yeah. I was just going to say, I feel like if Jose was still in charge, Wings would be gone. Yeah. But now Mason's given oh, no. his mate a bit of a go. Um, so it's really, I don't know. I think now it's up in the air because, mm. you know, Harry, Harry Winks, um, I'm not Kane, mm. um, this one, whenever we say Harry, we always mean Harry Kane. Yeah. Because like, yeah. there's like, yeah. oh, Winks, who's like, uh, he hasn't yeah. played. Who yeah. is that? Mm. Um, but uh, Winks, um, he's probably thinking that he can play his way back into the team a little bit now. Uh, <laughs> I love as well that that noise, I think, on every episode we've made when mm. Winks has come up. <laughs> we've that had noise like the Barney grumble. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah I, I honestly think that there's a chance he could stay now. Um, it also probably really depends on how quickly we make a move for a new manager. Yeah. Um, because I think if we get like my fear with our manager search is that we, we wait too long and, you know, we get through, then Euros happen and everyone's all occupied with that. Mm -hmm. Then we get through Euros and then we're back to sort of preseason. We're back. Like it feels like it's a manager coming in. Then they've, there might be some players that they uh, still manage to like sneak through into their plans and maybe last another six months or a year. Yep. Um, and I think Winks could be one of those. I think so too. Um, given as well if Mason's going to be playing him for the rest of the season. Yeah. I think the problem with Winks is that when managers come in and watch him, they see the idea of this guy that can keep possession and passes the ball laterally uh, and they go, oh, that's useful. But the other side of it is that he is – a defensive sieve like he is terrible defensively he doesn't know where to position himself on the field he's got no clue uh he's terrible at tackling so you have this person that comes on that passes the ball sideways and that's it that's all they offer and i think the concept of harry winks versus the reality of harry winks are two different things um and you don't realize the defensive sieve until you play him in a game yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Uh, yeah. I think he's a player that kind of goes off of the fact that he played well when we beat Madrid. Yeah. Like years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. It still gets brought up though. Like people will be debating whether it's any good on, on podcasts and then uh, and then someone will say, but remember that game against Real Madrid? Yeah, who uh, held Modric down? <laughs> yeah, Harry Winks. It's like, yeah, cool. Like wasn't that at the Aldi Cup or something? Um, In that game. Yeah, was that? No, that was Champions League. Oh, did he do it in the Champions yeah. League? Oh, did he play in that game? Yeah. I've just deleted it. I was just like, wow, we beat Madrid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hang on as well. I'm now, I feel like I've become like a Winx apologist now. Yeah. By just saying defending. I'm not trying to defend him in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> Barney, put down that knife, please. <laughs> um, on the topic of apologists, uh, I am a firm supporter of Serge Aurier. In the sense, I, I know he makes so many frustrating errors, and in the cup final, that tackle, I still like. I talking about it now, I'm feeling hot. I feel hot with anger with how stupid it was. But credit where credit's due, he was really good <laughs> in this Sheffield game. Two assists, two assists, yeah. yeah. And 
Uh, he looked calmer in the back, maybe because he didn't have a lot to deal with. I was going to say maybe because he didn't have to defend. Yeah. <laughs> during the game. There was one point though where he got the ball in our own box and he won it and he looked like he was uh, in control, <laughs> which is uh, from him, good to see. Also the fact that he played so well and he's fasting at the moment is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, that was a nice little moment to see him get his um, – so it got some fluids in, got yeah. that little like energy gel or whatever it yeah. was. And um, it looked like there was a pack of like – like I thought for a second there were like um, like chocolate-coated almonds or something. Yeah. Like, they definitely weren't. But I thought that and then I thought, you know, that's nice. <laughs> they're like – they're bringing him these little treats. They're, yeah. they're, they're doing that so he can break the fast and get some energy going, get some mm. sugar in. Um, but, yeah, he, he did play well. I think the thing I, I feel about with Aria is – when he does have those moments in the box, he either makes a move which is like prime Maldini yeah. and like just, you know, strips a defender effortlessly, mm-hmm. wonderfully, and then, you know, starts bringing it forward and you're like, oh, wow. Or he just makes it's the catastrophe yeah. waiting to happen. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's what, like, I can never feel, I, I'm never calm when I see him in those positions no. just because knowing the, the, the worst end of what he's capable of, mm. Um, like it's so emotion, most like I feel so emotional when yeah. I, when he gets there because you're just like no 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 oh well surge amazing surge, yeah Great. wow so I I feel like he's just you know we, I guess we it feels like something we need to accept that if he's as long as he's playing in our team he's always going to be very inconsistent yep and I mean that's just how he is mm-hmm. yep I mean I. Having said this, would love for us to buy a right back uh, in the transfer window. And if we keep Surge, here's the backup. Um, I don't want to see him as our first choice right back next season. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Yeah. <laughs> to, not have him, to not have him there. I think uh, as well, um, Doherty's gone. He's surely he's done. Surely he's done. The thing though is like who's going to pay 15 mil? Like how are we going to recoup the, the cash we spent on him last season? And we know that, you know, um, we don't exactly have a history of offloading players for the, for the cheap. No. Like we end up going, hey, hang on, what? Kevin Wimmer hasn't paid, played for us for 18 months, mm. 20 million? Yeah. Uh, okay, sold. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the only thing that maybe stands in the way of Doherty exiting would be, um, Levy wanting to recoup what he paid, mm. and there's just no way that he can he can do that. Yeah, he's been what a terrible transfer. I mean, I mean, I guess when he came in, it's funny because when Hoybier came in, I was like, all right, all right, okay, I guess so. And with Doherty, I was like, oh, he's he's been quite good for Wolves, and it's been the complete reverse where Doherty has been horrible. Um, and you think. Okay, I was excited when he came in, but also he's a George Mendes client. And did we get him because of George Mendes, like um, Getson Fernandez? <laughs> um, is that why we ended up with Doherty? Because if he can't play as a fullback and can only play as a wingback, and Jose was always intending to play with fullbacks, it seems like a terrible purchase. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. I also feel that, you know, there aren't that many managers who really do play with this wingback system regularly. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
I guess as well, any top level managers or mm. teams that are competing in the top half of the table. Yeah. Um, sometimes you'll get teams down the bottom end who are like, well, if we can get an extra center back in this formation, then yeah. we'll do whatever we <laughs> can yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's interesting. Like it kind of feels in a sense that I don't want to say wingbacks are completely out outdated now, but um, I think it's like if, you know, you have top elite teams like Man City um, who are playing with their fullbacks who get forward, get back. Yeah. So sure, they're playing, more, you know, is wingbacks in a sense, mm. but they're not sort of, um, you know, playing in this weird Doherty role, which no one really seems to play. Yeah. Apart from <laughs> Wolves were playing mm. with it. Yeah. Um, so it's that I also feel now it's like, who's going to want to buy him? Like what club? Like, is this something where Wolves want to take him back? Mm. Um, Maybe. Like that's probably the the most likely destination if anyone yeah. was to pull the trigger and go for him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, hello, uh, Nuno. <laughs> uh, please take him back. Please take him back. Let's just do a swap. Maybe uh, Doherty for I don't know uh, someone like Pedro Neto. Or something yeah, like that. maybe yeah. something like that. I mean, that seems fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. sure. We're taking sure. the risk on the younger player. We yeah. don't know what he could be. Exactly. Yeah, you get a, a a guy that you know is going to slot into your team. Um, and we were just taking a punt. We're taking a punt on a possible future superstar. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Um, talking about uh, players going back, what do you think about uh, Bale staying for another season? Are you for or against it? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if any Spurs fan was asked that question right now, yeah, they would all be like, yeah, 100%, let's get him in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think... <laughs> like you see the stats, like his goals per minute um, ratio is best in the league. Yeah. Um, he's got, I think it's nine goals in 16 appearances mm. and something like nine goals in his last nine starts or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> like you got to play the dude. Mm. Like he's, I think he's shown that whatever happened between him and Mourinho, um, it wasn't really about him being able to play or not mm. um, because he sort of showed like, again, yes, we're playing against a poor team, but he just dominated. Yeah. Um, and the chances he got, it was so clinical. Mm. Like it was disgustingly clinical. Yeah. Um, and very different goals as well. Yeah. Like one, you know, very clever little chip over the top. Yep. And his positioning like to, to see, you know, to keep tracking where the keeper was and, make that run and just flick it over the top so effortlessly in. Um, then the clinical finish on the break. Yeah. Like that was that was awesome. He absolutely sloshed that top bids. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Sloshed at top bids. Yeah. Um, and then the third one, which was just a very composed finish on the edge of the box, I think mm. went through a defender's legs as well. Mm. Um, like, I mean, what else does he have to do to show that he still has, you know, yeah. a- elite – um, elite level class. Yeah. Um, the sorry, I'm, I'm getting all worked up now because <laughs> I feel it like that that goal where he broke as well. He broke from our box. Yeah. Sprinted, mm. and you know defenders couldn't catch him. Yeah. Um, there were a couple moments in the game as well where he tracked back and won the ball back from like a fullback position. Uh, one was after he scored the hat trick, and that was just such a like a peacocking like. The wind was in his sails. Yeah, and totally. It's, it's one of those things like, you know, if you play like futsal or something and you score a goal too and then for the next few minutes you're like, all right, boys, we've yeah. got this. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah. And then you just, you're suddenly just everywhere mm-hmm. and then you realise that you've just cooked yourself. Yeah. 
Um, it felt like he was doing that. Like he was, it was a great performance from him. It was fantastic. Sonny's goal as well. Well, his two goals. Um, they are, <laughs> uh, the, the goal that counted was fantastic. What a strike. Um, and then the first one that uh, was chalked offside was just like classic Sonny, um, which was really good to see him after having a pretty tough cup final. Um, yeah. Oh, definitely. He looks so out of sorts in the cup final. Yeah. Um, and that's going to happen. You know, mm. I was disappointed with how he played. Like, don't get me oh, wrong. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but I was, you can't blame a player like that. Like he has been in a bit of a, a dip of form mm. recently. But, yeah, I think you're right. This was back to kind of, you know, this is like that, I don't want to say peaks on. Yeah. But that type of finishing is like peaks on. Yeah. Like you give him a sniff of goal and when he's playing well, he's one of the most clinical finishers because mm. he can go both both feet. Mm. Um, and like, yeah, that the one he scored off the post. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was just such a clutch Oh, it was awesome. Strike. Like, and I love his little sort of um a little tap back when he and just, you know, sold the defender. Yeah. Um to anyway. And then just to to just bend it round in off the post. Like it was it was it was great. And it was mm. really it was really nice, like you say, to see him um have that moment, especially after what happened in the in the cup final. Yeah, totally. The the one surprising uh aspect was no goals for Harry Kane, and he was pretty cool. Like I don't know how to interpret his game because he was pressing, he was running around, uh, he didn't look like he was being inhibited by any kind of ankle injury, but also um, there was some very unHarry-like. Uh, there was a miss in particular that was like as the ball was coming to him. It was, this was in the first half. Um, he skied it, and as it was going to him, I was like, "I'm so sure this is going to be a goal." Mm. Um, he went Johnny Wilkinson and put it through over the top. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. It's also probably the only rugby player I know. <laughs> he might also have retired 10 years ago. Yeah, but, he, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was, like, shocking. Like, mm. That was kind of like Sissoko-level yeah. finishing. Um, even, look, it was on his left, but, again, Kane's someone who scores with both feet mm. for fun. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that was that was very, like you're saying, it was very uncharacteristic um, yeah. from him. There was another moment where he... Um, he turned one of the defenders. I think it was Bulldog, maybe. Um, and he turned him with like I love when Kane turns players because he he doesn't really have like that dribbling skill. Mm. So he just does like he just taps it to the side. Yeah. And then I think Bulldog just like fell over. Um, <laughs> and then Kane again on his left struck it back across goal, yeah. and it kind of just like rolled through. Like it didn't really have much power. Um, like <laughs> I don't want people to listen to this and go like, hey. <laughs> Stop criticizing Kane. Yeah. Have you seen how many goals he's got? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're just saying it just seemed like something was still just a little bit off mm. about him because he usually at least sort of, you know, challenges the keeper. Oh, totally. And you, you think in a game like that where we were so dominant that uh, he's going to want to have like an absolute feast and push his numbers up, you know, for Golden Boot. And he didn't. Um, but, you know, like we said with Son, players, good players still have – bad games and maybe this was just a bad game or like, yeah, he might just have a lingering uh, nickel still from that ankle. Yeah. 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 Like it's, you know, it's, we're not going to win 4-0 and then criticise Kane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that would be um, 
Yeah, that would be like, you know, the our ghosts from last week still feeling <laughs> bad about something and yeah. like you know trying to mope around. But yeah, I think it's it's just not maybe it's just not hundred percent yet. Um but I'm sure he'll be back um, you know, next game and like he'll he'll want to wrap up the golden boot. Absolutely. This season. He'll yeah. want to wrap up the assist boot. The golden assist boot. Ball? Is that I what think, it's called? No, it's uh, it's definitely not, actually it's definitely golden ball because it's yeah. like the <laughs> yeah. Ballon d'Or, which yeah. is like, um, I think it was I think it's a ball or something. Whatever they get given mm. for the assist, yeah. Um, um, I was going to say a little hand, but like that's not that's, that's completely not, yeah. incorrect. Yeah, that'd be golden glove. Yeah, for the keeper. Mm. Uh, we'll look into this. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, we'll come back. Um, I I did want to actually declare in terms of looking into things. Um, I found an educational video about XG because every time we bring up XG on this podcast, both of us are like, we have no idea. It looks good or bad or whatever, but we don't really know. And I'm going to watch it for next week. And I'm going to report my findings. Okay. That's, I'm glad that you said you're going to watch it for next, next week. Cause I panicked cause I was like, I haven't seen this video. Yeah. Now Barney's just going to school me on XG <laughs> and make me look like an absolute fool. Oh, you're still not allowed to watch it. Cause oh, I'm, I'm still going to okay. come in and be like, so Dan, here's the deal with expected goals. <laughs> so you're going to become our, our pods XG expert. Yeah. The most like really, anno- like you'll be like, Oh, I thought it was quite a good goal. And I'll be like, XG was actually really high for it. it wasn't very. It, <laughs> yeah, it would have been like would have been weirder for us to miss it. Yeah, it would have been weird. Actually, statistically, it would have been weird enough. Yeah, if it had missed. And you know, technically, in that, and you're just gonna be like, Bunny, I don't want to do this podcast anymore. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's what I have to look forward to. Bunny right? <laughs> yeah. torpedoing the podcast. Torpedoing the podcast. Um, I, I wanted to segue there with something about torpedo. Gio Celso looked like he took a torpedo to the face. Oh. <laughs> How was that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that <laughs> yeah. because that is probably one of the most ridiculous decisions I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, it's one of those replays where sometimes you see a decision uh, and you see the replay and then you watch it and each time you're like, okay, now I see. Maybe it wasn't as bad. This one gets worse and worse every time you see it. Absolutely. Because you see Fleck look at him mm-hmm. before he stomps on him. Yep. So you could argue, okay, maybe Fleck wasn't trying to stomp on his face. He was trying to stomp on his shoulder. Still a stomp. Which doesn't make it work, sorry, yeah. better. Mm. But there is intent there Yeah. because he looks and then makes the movement with his leg yep. and stomps on his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yep. if that's not a red card, I don't know what is. And yeah. I mean, you have the VAR footage. Um, the VAR doesn't see anything there. Um, Geo gets up and he looks like the hound from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Because he's got like he's stu- all these yeah. marks across his face. Yeah. It's wild. Like if there was ever a point to abolish VAR, it should be after the fact that that wasn't picked up. Like how was that not given as a red card? It was like also like what – like referees, part of their job is to protect the players, right? That's part of the the role that they have. And it is neg- negligent that that wasn't pe- – like he could have lost his eye. It was right near his temple. Like they could have – like it could have actually been a very serious injury. Um, and I just can't – what I am confused about is when it was being reviewed on VAR, they were looking at it from an angle that – it was kind of like, well, 
what are you doing? And then on the broadcast, there was the other angle where you actually see um, Flick look look down and then stamp. And it's like, well, this is obviously a red card. Um, yeah. Definitely. So- and I think Flick's reaction as well, like he after it happened, he kind of put his arms out in the air like, oh, come on, ref sort of thing. Yeah. Like as if that was even a foul. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> it's, it's just – it, I thought it was the, one of the most ridiculous decisions I've seen. Mm. And you're like, you look at Fleck and like, you know, he's a thick little dude. Yeah. Like he probably weighs a little bit. I yeah. mean, he's tiny. Yeah. But he's kind of like a little Oompa Loompa. <laughs> but a little heavy, angry Oompa Loompa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it like whoever is landing on your face is going to hurt. So I don't mm. know what relevance that, that has. But, you know, it looks like like I don't know much about him as a player but like after that, you just look at that instant and you're just like, that's just really scummy. Yeah. And I know we've spoken about Geo before as in he does little rat challenges, but yeah. they're little like taps of the ankle to bring a player down. Like, mm. you know, they're sort of cynical fouls, but like in that professional foul sort of like yeah. category, it's not stomping on a guy's face. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at, you know, like on the same weekend, um, old mate from West Ham got sent off because – uh, he what was it? He made a clearance and his boot followed through and caught a player, and he was sent off because it was seen as reckless or something like that. And then it, apparently the same person operating VAR that then didn't give the red for um, for Flick, which uh, like whoever it is whose name I, I don't know who their name, what their name is, uh, <laughs> who their name is. I don't know who their name is, but they need to get out. <laughs> Is what I, that's the that's what I'm going for. No, that's how you feel. Yeah. That's how we all feel about yeah. it. Um, it's also so weird, like being in a game where you're up and you're winning very easily. Mm. Um, but to feel so aggrieved as well, yeah, about that. Like, I think it's so like like what you say is like that could have been worse. Like that could have resulted in much more serious injury mm. for um, Geo. Like uh, you know the weight of someone falling on your face. Yeah, with studs on, with st- like studs, like that's. That's crazy. Like mm. I, I definitely thought that that was, um, you know, there weren't that many, you know, questionable decisions in the game, but that one just stood out as like, what on earth is happening? Yeah, here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is where I was. Well, I would love there to be some like retrospective action yeah. for these things mm. because if it's a, a foul that's like that bad, yeah, like you've got to be able to come come back later and go, hang on, the ref missed this. VAR didn't rule on it properly. Mm. This should face some punishment. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a very serious offense. Like th- there needs to be some, there needs to be something, something needs to happen. Um, yeah. I was so shocked by, by, by it. And like the act of doing that is so full on. Like I just wouldn't expect someone as a professional footballer in the premier league to do something like that. But Unless you're Roy Keane. Unless you're Roy Keane, that's very true. Yeah. Um, obviously, he hasn't stamped anyone's face, but, mm. you know, admitting he tried to end Haaland's career and then did. <laughs> I mean, that's just the scummiest of scum for professionals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you always see it too when um, even, you know, pundits on, the, on, on any show, when a player gets injured, they're always like, oh, you never want to see that as a fellow pro. Like you never want to see, you know, players you play against sort of get injured and, and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, obviously Fleck doesn't – doesn't he plays by his own rules. Yeah. Yep. He's the bad boy of Sheffield and he doesn't care. Oh, yep. Goddamn Fleck. 
Oh, well, he'll be in the championships next season. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't you. think anyone's coming in to, uh, for Fleck to keep him up. Yeah. Um, so, goodbye, Fleck. Uh, I guess that's vengeance in a sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I think that um, oh, I was going to say, yeah, just wrapping up on the, the like the referee calls. Mm. Um, I know you mentioned the offside from Son. Yep. Um, it really does feel like that offside rule should be revised a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Um, and this is not just because this was one against Spurs because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that that goal not going in wouldn't have yeah. changed the result. No. It oh, would've, well, it would have affected my life. But it would have affected your life. Yeah. But, you know, it wouldn't yeah. have changed the result. Mm, that's so, true. You know, yeah. 99.999% of Spurs fans. <laughs> Who didn't make stupid bets. <laughs> yeah, they'd be fine yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, but it just feels like there's, like we get it that they're trying to make these decisions with VAR, but I think, you know, back in the day before VAR, there was always the thought that you give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker. Yeah. And if you weren't sure it was offside, you wouldn't call it. Mm. Um, well, that's what you, you were supposed yeah. to do anyway. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like what are you really, you know, what are you really adding to the game? by stopping goals like that being scored where you have an attacker who's trying to make a run. Mm. So they're naturally having to lean forward to make that run. And then a defender is just standing there. Yeah, exactly. Doing that. Like I kind of feel like there's, you know, it's difficult to say, oh, daylight has to be between the attacker and the defender because then you get a lot of questionable decisions that someone would probably be a bit too far and you'd Mm. say that should be offside. But I just think there needs to be maybe a little bit more leniency Mm. in these decisions or they've got to change this somehow yeah um to just to just make this stop happening yeah what what was uh, Arsene Wenger's uh suggestion that it was um he wanted to go by the foot or the back of the foot or something like that um rather than the because like Son was offside because of his shoulder I think yeah and it's like what like if the ball hits him on the shoulder like I've seen <laughs> I've seen um Handball was given for that. So, like, what's what's the point in his shoulder being forward? Should it be from the foot? Like, there needs to be there needs to be a revision of it because it's like, uh, what did the game gain by them doing their geometry lesson and then calling it offside? Like, you're, you're taking away uh, exciting through ball goals by punishing people for leaning forward when they're trying to uh, gain pace on a defender. Well, like you say, the the fact that it's off a shoulder or something like that and the ruling is like, well, any part of the body that you could score with, mm. if that's offside, then it's offside. Yeah. But it's like who's shouldering a goal in? Yeah, exactly. Unless you're the corpse Fernando Llorente. Yeah, he like, would. They, well, I mean, he's not playing in the – like change it. He's not there. He's not there. So yeah. you don't have to worry about making mm. these Llorente-specific rules exactly. anymore. Yeah. But exactly. it, it does feel like there's – like have a bit more common sense about it. Yeah. And also I never really understood why they're like, if any part of you that could score a goal is, you know, in front of the defender, then that's offside. Cause it's like, well, people don't run with their shoulders. Yeah. So it's like, like you're saying, if their feet are further back. Yeah. Like the feet are what they have to move with. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you almost think like, in a sense, like I, uh, comparing it to basketball. Mm-hmm. So basketball, if the ball goes out, the ball can go over the line, yeah. But you just can't be holding the ball and, t- and having your foot on the ground outside of the court, yeah. So the ball can go out, you know, can go technically out, but stay in the air, yeah. And then you can sprint after it, jump up in the air, throw the ball, get it back in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like something like that, which there is that 
little level of leniency and it's yeah. easier to kind of manage because you're like, well, if the ball goes out because someone's holding it a bit, like like what's going to happen there? Yeah. If someone is actually step have stepped outside of the court, they're going to get that extra advantage of space in whatever situation and, and, yeah. and anything. So we want to have a similar situation here mm. and it's like really take it by the feet. Yeah. Like you say, back of the foot, great. I'm down for that. Mm. Um, like you say. <laughs> arson. Ars- it was arson. It was arson. Um, we came up with it together. It's a collaboration. Yeah. I like that. To IFAB, arson and Barney's rule. Yeah. <laughs> for offside. Yep, exactly. It feels to me that would be the thing where like you've scribbled on in crayon, like <laughs> your name next to his on yeah. the application form. On his beautiful cursive <laughs> writing. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and I've also like. Uh, smudged it a little bit with my own spit to yeah. make sort of like a cool glowing effect. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. felt like, well, yep, great. <laughs> this, oh, wow. this checks out. What a great uh, what a great uh, piece of literature, football literature. <laughs> football Excellent. literature. Excellent work. Yeah. That, look, if you crafted a, a, an offside rule that was then considered football literature that people would read, mm. like that must be the most beautifully written rule. Yeah, it it's was. Existed. Oh, no, sorry, I, sorry. I talk about it like it hasn't been done. It I has po- been I apologize. Done. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's in verse. We did write it in verse. Uh, I can't so. wait to see the live performance of it. Absolutely. At some small community theatre. Yep, yep. We booked a hall. We booked a hall <laughs> in Glenroy. It's very exciting. Yeah, obviously it can't happen until the borders open and asking can come, but um, when it does, I'll let everyone know. Yeah, I guess that, yeah, that's what's holding you back right now from mm. this is the borders aren't open mm. and international travel is not permitted yet. Yeah. So Arsene can't exactly. come. Exactly, that's be, the only reason why it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, but, that's what we got to look forward to in uh, in a few months. Exactly. <laughs> Once yeah. travel opens all up again. Yep. Um, look, you know, and enough about me. Um, next game, we have Leeds. Mm. Uh, what are your predictions? Uh, win. Yep. <laughs> Solid win. Solid win? Yeah. Leeds don't threaten me too much mm-hmm. because they attack. Yep. And they're weak defensively. Yep. And that's like literally Leeds. Yep. Is <laughs> in they attack, they play quite exciting football going forward, mm-hmm. but defensively struggle a lot. Yep, that's very true. I have some trepidation towards the game because um, I'm worried that if they press us too much and we're fragile in our brand new uh, possession focused structure that that could cause problems for us because we saw in the Man City game with the amount of pressure they were putting on us and we couldn't move the ball basically. I mean, obviously Leeds are not Man City, um, but it concerns me. Having said that though, the counter argument to that is that I thought the Manchester United were going to absolutely destroy them uh, and they drew nil all. So who knows? Uh, I'm predicting a win. As well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess, again, <laughs> my blind optimism points mm-hmm. me to go for a win. Um, I just think at this stage of the season, like, Leeds aren't really playing for much. No, that's true. Um, well, they're not battling relegation. Mm. They're not really competing for any any European positions or anything like that. So, I don't know. It, it just sort of seems like, um, you know, some of the Leeds players might be a little bit in the shop window wanting to still play well, perform, maybe get some some bigger moves. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like if we play like we did against Sheffield 
Um, and again, it was Sheffield. But mm. if we play with that sort of attacking mentality, if we have Bale, Son, Kane leading the line, um, I can't see us. I just can't see us losing that game. Mm. And I know it's a very dangerous thing to say, given how the season's gone and given how, you know, games are weird this season and yeah. there's no fans and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, look, I see us. Um, yeah, I see us winning that. Mm. And I was just going to say, sorry, that given that there are no fans, apart from uh, at Man U. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, plenty there. Where, <laughs> um, yeah, that was interesting. It was. Yeah, that see. was wild. It was cool. Obviously, I don't condone uh, violence or anyone getting hurt, but I still thought it was a cool thing. Um, in terms of the power of the fans, I thought it was much more of a uh, desperate act to have an impact on what's going on versus this like amazing uh, act of fan power because like it's up to the Glazers what they're going to do. They might do nothing. They might be like, cool, whatever, we don't care. Um, so, yeah, great job, <laughs> Man U fans. Yeah, well, I mean, it looked like I, I haven't read all reports and so I don't know if the fans got up to more mischief, but it, from what I've seen, it, like obviously breaking in, yeah, not good, illegal, um, shouldn't be doing that. But at least it seemed like, you know, they, they went in there to make a point, mm. then left 10 minutes later. Again, not condoning the behaviour. Yeah. But I guess all I'm saying is that maybe it was good that it didn't seem to escalate further. Mm. Um, mm. And, you know, it could have gotten a lot messier mm. um, with that. It almost seemed as well that the, um, the staff at Old Trafford and the security there, I'm not saying they let it happen, but once it was happening, it was kind of like, well, all right, just, you know, yeah, we need to just let them do their that, thing yeah, and then head off from mm. that. So, yeah, like... Again, I think, you know, if you're a fan of that club and that's the only thing that you feel that you can do to get attention, mm. then that's what you're going to go and do. But mm. thats I don't think it's the right way to do it. And I think, like, if our fans started doing that to at, at any of our games, mm. I wouldn't be impressed with that no. as, a way to, as a way to protest. I, th- I think the thing that I found funniest about that, it's not funny, but, like, mm. the, fu- the funniest thing about it was the cross in the studio – we had like Michael Owen, um, Owen Hargreaves, and I forget, but the other, um, the other, well, not you know, pundit, whatever. Yeah, whatever pundit, um, man. Yeah. Whatever host pundit. Yeah, not a, not an ex player. Um, when they were talking about the game, they just kept escalating the importance of the game um, when they were talking in terms of it. So yeah. it started with, um, you know, the fans have done this and then blah blah blah, and they've you know they've managed to call off the biggest game in the Premier League season. Mm. And I was like, okay, yeah, fair. You know, there's a few derbies and, and that, but. I guess Man U Liverpool, there's something in that. Mm. Um, okay, f- cool. We'll let you have that call if that's what you want. Then that got um, escalated to, um, you know, because of this fan involvement, we haven't witnessed the world's biggest football fixture today. Mm. And so I thought, well, that's, you know, okay, cool. Mm. I get it. You know, Hargreaves and Owen, but both Man U uh, players and also mm. Owen Liverpool as well. Um, and then it went to the biggest game in the history of sports has been called off today. Oh, my God. One of the biggest games in the world of sport and then one of the biggest sporting events in the world. Mm. So I think it's something that, um, you know, I guess really it was easy for them to just blow up. Yeah. (laughs) You know, how the the fans have called off one of the biggest events in the history of sport. Mm. And it's like, no, like not really. Mm. Like, you know, they had a protest. It wasn't necessarily the right thing to do, but, you know, all right, game was postponed. They made the point. Yeah. 
move on. Mm. Um, it was also interesting. It's like, yeah, I think when you put it in terms like that, um, it's weird because either you're trying to give all this power to the fans to say fans can call off the biggest games in the world right now. And it's like, well, fans just broke into a stadium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's they what they did. Yeah. Like I know our fans are planning to do that. <laughs> the, yeah, they <laughs> not sure Not break are. in, but, you know, have a protest in a few weeks. Mm. I, uh, two things. First one, we get the Premier League coverage here. We don't get Sky's coverage. And when the ESL got announced and Sky were not involved in that process, they were very anti the ESL and up the fans and the English game and all this kind of stuff. And this protest happened to which they weren't able to televise the Manu Liverpool game and make a lot of money off the um, the revenue of ads. And all of a sudden the, the naughty, naughty fans with their protest doing the bad, bad thing and they've ruined the, you know, the greatest game. They've ruined the day for everyone and blah, 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 blah. It flipped very, very quickly. And I know that there are a couple of uh, arrests and a police officer I think copped something in their head, which not great, but um, it all of a sudden became these horrible vigilantes that are ruining the day for everyone else. And it's like, okay, cool. You're showing your true colors here. The second thing is that the media has reported these, these protests. When we had the original ESL protests, they got a bit of coverage, but not that much. Whether this one, I mean, obviously it's more extreme because they broke into the ground and then also there were some arrests and there was some violence involved. Huge news, right? And the, the media at large is sort of like condemning these fans for doing what they did, for calling off the biggest game in the sporting calendar. In the history of sport. History of sport. <laughs> but the thing is that because of the controversy of this event, the coverage is much broader, which gives the protest more power, right? So therefore, they might be encouraging fans to do this kind of thing, to do more extreme behavior and, and postpone games or, you know, whatever, which is just the most hilarious and, you know, ultimately maybe ugly irony of the whole situation. Um, so Sky Sports isn't your friend. <laughs> and that's my, that's my two cents. No, I think yeah. that's, that's actually the really good point. And mm. the one that this is, you know, can serve as a call to arms to fans of other clubs. Mm. Like you'd have to wonder now, just given how competitive fans are in general about their teams on the field, mm. um, you know, any other teams who have fans who are organizing protests, you could see them going like, well, hang on, man, you lot, they broke into the stadium. Yeah. We're going to at least do that. What are we going to do? Like yeah. what are we going to do for that? And mm. I just hope that this doesn't sort of keep getting uglier Yeah. in that sense. Um, see – yeah, heightened and heightened. One aspect uh, to show Daniel Levy's acumen, his genius, is the most extreme thing the Spurs fans could do would be to go on the extreme dare skywalk. So the Tottenham <laughs> protest will just be them because they're like, we've got to be more extreme. So what they do is they all just buy tickets to the skywalk, go up there, and Daniel Levy's like, pretty wild, huh? And everyone's like, whoa, clever. Oh, uh, don't... um. 
Oh, I hope the fans don't protest on the, the skywalk. skywalk. Wouldn't that be terrible? Wouldn't that be weird if they just yeah ruined the day for the skywalk? Skywalk, yeah. All I the hope people- they don't buy... Th- 35 pound tickets to go to the skywalk. The skywalk. Oh, God. Even if they storm their way on, wouldn't it be terrible, the publicity for the skywalk? I can just see they would hire a photographer and just have them just shooting up, seeing all these people up on the skywalk. Oh, my God. And then just the headlines coming out skywalk raging success. Yeah. Yep. The biggest (laughs) event in the sporting calendar. Yeah. The skywalk. The skywalk. Uh, Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, look. I think you know on on all this sort of um, on on this sort of whole topic, like it's probably important for us to very very quickly um, cover the Tottenham supporter Tottenham Hotspur supporters trust. Yep, um, and what they've come out with mm. recently with their updated demands. Yeah, for the club, um, which I don't know. It's not sitting that well with me mm. um, at the moment. Um, I definitely understand fans not being happy and all that sort of thing, but yeah. to have now the you know the supporters trust making just a list of demands which are not Could they're you, not going to happen. I've only seen the headline. I have I don't know what the demands are. Okay, I'll give you the demands. Could you give me the demands? Yeah, yeah. So from my knowledge, and this mm-hmm. is my take on it. I might have a few things incorrect, but yeah. it's very complicated. <laughs> it seems from everyone. Mm. It seems like initially Daniel Lee was like, "Hey, let's have a board." a board-to-board meeting, which yep. I assume is the board of the Supporters Trust and the yep. board of the club. Yeah. Let's have that. Supporters Trust go, no. Mm. We don't want to have that meeting because we don't think you'll do anything. Right. So I understand that from the argument of them going, well, we've had meetings the last, you know, few years mm. and we've asked about Super League stuff and you've lied to us and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, the most important thing here is to open up a dialogue. Exactly. Um, yeah. Instead, now we have demands. Um. And one of them is just reiterating the point of like replacing the executive board. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and it's like this will be the first step toward building trust between the, you know, the board and the, and the people and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and this will help repair the reputational damage that has been done to our club. Right. Um, I can't see uh, the whole board <laughs> getting getting um, fired and replaced over this. Yep. Like that's. It's just not going to happen. But also who replaces them? Like you're just getting a different bunch of people that you have ne- less knowledge about who act in the interests of the financial gain of the club. Like it's not – to me, replacing the board, there is no action. Oh, definitely. Like yeah. – it, it doesn't like – yeah, it seems more like something to show of like here's change. We yeah. Replace the board, that's it. Nothing yeah. else changes. You're <laughs> replacing them with uh, like shark – Shark-eyed, is that a saying? <laughs> Shark-eyed businessman. It's not like Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama and Gandhi are coming onto the board. Like Totally. Yeah. So that doesn't yeah, that doesn't really address anything. If we replace mm. a board with other board members who the board should, it's you know, yeah, it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't do anything. Uh, the second point was um, the owners should be um, making a public comment saying that they will cover all costs that are in f- like any fines associated joining ESL. Yep. And that shouldn't come out of the club money. It should come out of the owner's money. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yep. Yep, mm-hmm. good point. Hmm. <laughs> point two, solid point. Yeah, we'll take that one. Um, then here's point three, which goes back to the people on the board, and right. it's like the board should include independent directors whose sole purpose is to protect and promote the interests of the football club, not its shareholders or owners. Yeah, um, and it's like to an extent, yeah, you mm. could say okay, protect the interests um, of the football club, but yep. the football club is owned by people and the football club is a business 
and everyone that has shares in the club, like that's how business works. Yeah, exactly. You would need for that to happen, you need uh, this independent government regulator uh, to which there must be a somebody, like like someone that works for the Heritage Council that's protecting the identity of a building or, or whatever. Um, you need that coming from a – they're paid by the government, uh, they are independent and they have some kind of say. You can't just have some re- – like that's how it needs to come to basically. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And see that's the – on the next point, no, point number four, proactively and positively engage with the government's fan-led review to rebalance the current ownership structure in favour of supporters. Mm. You're an owner, you're not going to do that. Yeah. You're not going to say, all right, let's rebalance it in terms of like favoring supporters in terms of us. Yeah. Um, again, the government needs to make those mm. sort of calls. Um, and I don't think, you know, I just don't, we just can't demand like you own this club. You need to give us the club. You need to give us the majority of the shares. Yeah. Um, like it's, I, I think it's just like, they're just they're just kind of weird demands to just like this is what we want we want to own the club basically mm. without buying the club yeah um so on point five there's just there's just one another point yep. left and then that's that's all the demands that they are oh, great um but then the next one which I find is is more interesting is commit to full prior consultation with supporters on key non-playing and coaching decisions and to introduce a system that requires the consent of supporters for these decisions um and there's a, that goes on for a whole bunch of different bits and pieces. And they're saying they want season ticket holders, one Hotspur members, mm. people from the supporters clubs, all this sort of stuff. So again, it's like, so now we're suggesting we just put like anyone on the board. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, it's not going to happen. Like mm. what, you know, multi-billion dollar company is just going to go, okay, cool. Let's replace half the board with some members from supporters groups. Yeah. Like it's just not going to happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's like I don't know necessarily if that should happen, because like who's going? Who uh, is it? Just like you know, are the supporters trust electing someone themselves? Like is is the board of the supporters trust just picking someone? Yeah. Like how do we know that they have, you know, the actual interest of all the fan all the fan base yeah. intact there? Um, yeah. Then the last one is just again like um, commit to the creation of a share ownership structure that broadens ownership of the club, um, and could provide an injection of cash. So then after this, like their, their sentence is, we invite the club's owners to meet with us to implement the six-point plan above. Right. So I think the whole point here <laughs> that I'm trying to make is I understand that we're all angry about mm. certain things. Yeah. But I think if we kind of have, you know, what is represented as our main supporters lobby, the supporters trust, and I'm not sure how they, their board is even elected. Like if they are even elected or if it is just the board who's just there yeah, who sort of runs that. Mm. Um, I just don't like all these demands being made from, you know, the supporters trust to try and represent the values of all fans mm. that are being made. And the fact that now it feels like we're creating more divisions between the club and ourselves. Yeah. And we're having now going with, the, the you know, the official supporters group going, no, we're not meeting with you. Here are our demands. You have to meet with us to implement them mm. as opposed to like we need to just keep the dialogue going mm. and keep working towards things. Mm. And I think with all the, you know, there's so much, um, there's still so much like outrage about like Enigout, Levy Out, all that sort yeah. of stuff, protest planned, all this sort of thing. Like 
I just fear that now it's like <laughs> we're getting such a division between fans of the mm. club as well because people are so pro Levian Enikau and they don't like you can't rationalize with them. Yeah. You'll get people who, you know, defend everything that Levy and Enik have done mm. and you can't rationalize with them either. Yeah. Um, so it just feels weird, I think, to be a, a, a Spurs fan at the moment mm. given that, you know, I can't rem- remember having the supporter base as divided since I've supported the team. Yeah, yeah. I think a big product uh, – well, not a product, a um, – a stimulus for the um, division is uh, Jose Mourinho because uh, you really had that division between people that were like, get him out and and other people who were like, he's the greatest. Um, and there were people in the middle, like I would count myself as someone in the middle of that who was like, well, I hope this works, but I... I, I think I, I was in the middle too. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I like the blockbuster of Jose, but also, but you know, by the end it's like, get him out of here. This is not working. Um. So yeah, I agree. There's there's this division. Also, as fans in Australia, it's kind of a weird spot to be in. Um, like I'm a, a member of the West Coast Eagles, and the the contacts that even though I'm on the other side of the country, the contact I have with them and and their membership procedures and what they do, I feel that I am so much closer to being able to affect if they do votes or whatever with with Spurs because it's so far away. It feels. I feel disconnected not only from the the board but also from the supporters trust as well. Um, there is a really good podcast the extra inch uh, did with the supporters trust um, that I would recommend listening to. Um, but yeah, I mean I I agree with you. I, I think also it's like you know it's a negotiation technique, right? You, of course, you come of in, you give all these demands, you expect to get twenty five percent of what you want. Or whatever. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, so sure, and it always, but the, the problem with it, when I've been involved at work with like union, dis, you know, like union disputes, and the union comes in and makes all these demands that seem huge, with the idea that they don't get all of them, the damage done PR wise with those initial demands, like what's happening now, where we go, oh, that's uh, okay, like whoa. <laughs> um, can sometimes sort of tank the whole thing. And I I have seen a bit of bite back from other Spurs fans on Twitter being like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like what is, what's going on? Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I, look, I think you make good points um, mm. about all that. And yeah, you know, it is, we, we are somewhat removed mm. from this to an extent. And, you know, this is not also saying that like all of these points are bad points. To no, raise. yeah. But um, it just seems like, you know, um, I get what you're saying as well. Like, you know, a negotiation, tac- negotiation tactic, you push for more than what you think you'll get. Mm. But it just seems like at the moment um, I'm always in favor of dialogue happening. Absolutely, yeah. So I think when you find that the, board, the, the supporters trust are making these demands and not engaging in... Uh, meetings, even if you think that the people in those meetings haven't, you know, haven't been trustworthy in the past, mm. like I still think you need to be having those dialogues. You yeah. need to keep those things open. If they were saying these things, saying, "Hey, we're meeting with the board. This is what we've been requesting. This is what mm. we're pushing for," I still think some of the demands in there, 
it means you're not really taken seriously because they're just a bit too far yeah. to even be like a negotiator. It's like that's just that's just yeah. unrealistic. You don't want a flat-out rejection where they, they're not going, okay, we'll meet you here, where they're just going, that's ridiculous demand. What, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And then I think, again, in the overall, you know, scheme of things, we just think that, okay, we magically change the owners, we change the board. You know, I guess to summarize up, we don't know who's coming in. Exactly. Again, on the owner's argument, not to go back into that because we've discussed it previously in depth yeah. in previous weeks. But, you know, if we get rid of Eddie Kalevi, like, are we expecting, you know, Mother Teresa or Gandhi yeah. to take over the club? And, you know, are we are we going to have a, a billionaire with really questionable um, means of their their riches and their wealth yeah. come in and use us as a hobby team where they just throw away billions of dollars and... Um, of billions of pounds and, mm. and you know, we we sort of buy success that way. Like, you know, we don't – We it's so hard I think to just go we have to get rid of this person, we have to get rid of this person unless we know what is the alternative, like who is coming in. Exactly. And I think the same thing applies to this stuff with the board. Like I just don't want some random people from the supporters' trust on the board. Mm. Like if if the, if if people are end up do going on to, to the to – to the Spurs board, like I think we need to know who they are before we're calling for action mm. to replace these people. Yeah. It's also um, if they get one person, I think we've said this before on this podcast, if they have a fan representative on the board and it's one person, it's, it is a pointless exercise because what they're just going to be there basically. They can raise points, they can argue points, but they're going to get outvoted because there's one of them. All in favor of the change. We have 14. Yeah. And rejecting it. Yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Me. 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 Like, I, I want cheaper beer prices. Yeah. That would be great. That would, that would be yeah, like, yeah. But that's what, that, that's what mm. we're pushing for. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's also, it's also messy. Cause if Enoch were to sell, like we could sell to a sovereign, like to a state power, right? like Saudi Arabia where it's like, oh, they do some pretty terrible stuff. Or we could sell to someone like Mike Ashley who is so much worse than Enoch. Um, or we the could- The Glazers. The Glazers or some American, you know, like we could have- The interesting thing about the Glazers, which they brought up on the, the Guardian podcast, is in terms of spend, United are second to city. Right. And part of the, you know, the distaste around the Glazers is that they've taken a lot of money out of the club, but they've also spent the second most amount of money and they've done terrible deals. Don't get me wrong. Awful, awful, awful de- deals. And they've been taken advantage of. And like that needs to change for sure. I'd be furious if that was Spurs. But when you look at so- somewhere like Spurs, where that we're not the second most spending. It's like, guys, <laughs> come on. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Like who do we, do we want Tom Hanks to take over? Yeah. I mean, and I just picked Tom Hanks as like, you know, people that someone that everyone seems to love. Mm. I'm sure mm. Tom Hanks ran the club. Well, actually who knows? <laughs> yeah. I'm not even, why is my mind seriously considering Tom Hanks yeah. as <laughs> the alternative that we have? But who owns a football club and is, is widely loved? By the fans, like I know there was a guy that did he own, was it Cardiff? 
Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he died and it was a big deal because the fans loved him. Or or was it, am I getting that very wrong and it was Lester? I can't remember now. No, Lester. The, Lester. Uh, he died in a helicopter crash. Yeah, that's right. And the Cardiff incident mm. was, I don't know what happened to, but the uh, the uh, if the owner, there was, mm. he might have died as well, but um, he came in. And changed the Cubs' colours and that's and right, sort of and they um, hated him. Yeah, and they and tried to redesign the the um, the logo and all that sort of mm, stuff. Mm. Oh, didn't didn't he change? They were going to be because they they're Cardiff City, right? And he wanted to change them to Cardiff City Tigers or something like that. Yeah, it was something yeah. I think to yeah to go red, which is you know obviously in a lot of Asian countries it represents mm. a sort of a, a, a powerful and lucky colour. Yeah, um, and then I think they were. Yeah, there were just a few other changes, which was just like, I'm buying this club, I'm changing these things. Mm. And it was like, oh, well, hang on. What are you doing? Back yeah. away here. We got some of that. We got someone who comes in, buys a club and tries to do those sort of things. Yeah. Yep. Um, Tom Hanks wouldn't do that. No, no, I don't think he would. Tom Hanks also brought uh, his coronavirus to Australia though. So maybe not such a nice guy. Well, yeah, f- true, but he also survived it. So maybe mm. he showed us that, we should be standing up to coronavirus. Yeah. We can fight it and we can get past it. So maybe he's back in the nice guy books. Wow. Yeah, that is so many perspectives. Hashtag Tom Hanks in. Hashtag Tom Hanks in. I reckon we should call it there. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. We're not going to call it there. No, but I just I just figure once we've hit the Tom Hanks, that's uh, that's the end of the road. No, but- no I agree 100% on what you're saying. But yeah. Um, like in Game of Thrones, mm. a Lannister always pays his debts. Okay, I've got the song. Funny, I I view you to be of Lannister heritage. Thank you. Um, how long do I have to sing for? Did I specify that? Do you have a song in mind? Because uh, I've got a request. Oh, I was gonna. I was just gonna make one up. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, but I was. Can you make sure that we get a mention of um, Bale in there? Sure. You can okay. go for as long as you'd like. Cool. I'll, I mean, I'll just go until I run dry. Yeah. Okay, ready? Um, this uh, song is a tribute to Gareth Bale uh, and also our dear friend Rob. I once went wearily down the lane, saw Gareth Bale water main, a bun so high, a bald patch underneath, scores a hat trick so neat. Thanks, Gareth. Goodbye. But maybe hello if you stay. Thanks, Gareth. Thanks, Gareth. Goodbye. <laughs> there you go. That's the song. So I had a waltz. I was doing a... That, that was, was perfect. A, yeah, that, that was, was perfect. A, it sort that of was, into I will waltz. applaud. Yeah. Um, no, that, that was more than I ever could have imagined. Thank you. Um, you transported me back. I felt like... I felt like there was, I felt like I was listening to like my, I was overhearing my, my five-year-old son mm. who doesn't exist, but like I had a five-year-old son who mm. was just singing themselves to sleep. Mm. So joyous and happy mm. um, that, that Bale was back and they, they didn't want him to leave. So that was great. Thank you. Thank you. Now, now that, now we're done. <laughs> great. Now I now have to take my girlfriend out for a three gazillion dollar dinner. Um, oh, I didn't say my Leeds prediction. I'm going to say <laughs> no bets. Um, can, I, can I have a song for <laughs> The song's over. Um, I'm going to say 3-0. 3-0? 3-0. We will win 3-0. 
you were sounding very skeptical when we were talking about it earlier. And <laughs> yeah. then 3-0 is a very powerful uh, scoreline. Yeah, I've decided that I'm going to go with big scorelines uh, because if 3-0, we might win 2-0. So, yeah. Okay, great. 3-0. Yeah. And then if that's incorrect, uh, we'll have another song next week. Oh, God. Um, if that's right, I'll give you a song next week. Sounds good. The Rolling right. Bet now. The Rolling is- Bet. <laughs> We're going to see like on the podcast chart, as soon as we're like, and now the song, people just stop listening. (laughs) Guys, yeah, drop off at the very end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. You guys only go for like another minute or two. Everyone just cuts out there. Um, Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back after the Leeds game, which we'll be watching live because it's 9.30. Hopefully we can also break our, our duck. We have not watched a game together where Spurs have won. No. Oh, so hopefully this will be the one. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I believe, I believe. Um, I've been Barney. I've been Ted. This has been a bit Spursy. <laughs> uh, we'll see you again next week. Uh, have a beautiful day, night, afternoon, morning, or lunch. You've been listening to a bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.